Welcome to Therapy is Dope with Alicia and Julie. Let's make self-help fun again. But no, seriously, laughter is the best medicine. Come and join us as we introduce new ways of thinking and being. And hopefully get you laughing along the way. Hello, guys. Today's episode, we're moving into a really vulnerable subject, and we brought a lovely guest with us today. Jim, do you want to say hi? Hi. <laughs> he's gonna. He's our grief expert today, a uh, grief expert based both on experience and uh, understanding of the topic. I think you've probably read every book. Not every book, but (laughs) he's got all the grief knowledge. And Julie, Julie brushed up on the subject as well, didn't you, Julie? Yes, I was a little nervous today. I was like, Jim's coming. We got an expert. So (laughs) you're our very first guest, by the way, and we are honored to have us on our program. Uh, So I, of course. Um, So I was looking at the seven steps of grief and you know, I didn't read as many books. I probably read like three pages of a book. <laughs> hmm. uh, so I'm really excited about today and, and what you're going to share, what we're going to learn together. Okay. I think um, probably the best way to go about it is just to have you start telling your story. Okay. Uh, I will preface it by saying it is um, a very powerful story. And Jim knows he's been an inspiration to me. And I hope that he can be an inspiration to our listeners as well. So you have the floor now, sir. Okay. (laughs) Um, Well, my experience with grief started, it was six years ago. And um, I lost my 16-year-old daughter. She um, died unexpectedly. So... I was just going through life normally. And although I had had issues with depression and things like that in the past, and she was kind of my light that took me out of that. And, you know, when I was with her, I wasn't depressed. I was happy. I was, and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, um, she was at tennis practice playing on her high school tennis team and she was at tennis practice and I was out I would usually take her to tennis and I would go running around the area there while she would be um, at tennis practice and then we would drive home together and I got a call I was out running and I got a call from my wife and she said you got to get back to the court something's happened to Caitlin So I got back there and she was just lying on the ground and the paramedics were there working on her and um, she wasn't breathing. She, her heart had stopped. They were doing CPR on her. Um, They rushed her to the hospital. Of course, we rushed to the emergency room and they worked on her and tried to revive her and nothing worked and we were just standing there They in the emergency room. They said, we'll try one more time to see if her heart will start. And they did the paddles on her to shock her heart and nothing. So they were like, well, we're going to have to call it. And, you know, and we just stood there in shock. Uh, what do you do now? You know what? So um, I just remember sitting in the ER and they said, you can take, you stay as long as you want. Um, And we just stayed there and um, our priest came and sat with us for a while. Um, Other people were in and out for a while. And so um, just at that moment, I mean, I didn't know what to think. I mean, my life just came crashing down and I felt like my life was over. Um, I didn't know what to do. And um, so it got so bad at the point that um, my wife said to me that um, she said, you need to do something because right now, I don't know if when I go to work 
in the morning if I come home if you're going to be alive because mm -hmm. you are so you know suicidal at this point and um, I don't want to lose a husband and a daughter and we have another child Matthew and he needs a father and you know you just you can't live like this anymore and so she I couldn't do it myself so she's the one that actually called Alicia and set up the appointment with her um and Talked I to Kim several times <laughs> didn't I yeah and I didn't I didn't want to go I mean I was not but she said you got to do this you know and um so I went and Alicia and I had some back and forth about different things. But I think the first thing that for me personally um, was that I had to get on some sort of medication to help me because I wasn't in the right headspace. And I think for some people, they can, they can do that part, that pain part without medication. But for a lot of people, they they need it. I mean, at it's least, really unbearable. Yeah, the pain is just excruciating. It's like pain you've never felt before. I think one of the things you used to say that really stood out to me was, "I just want to go be with her," mm -hmm. and I think that's the way a lot of people feel. Right. The pain is so much that I don't even want to be here. I just want to go be with my my loved one. Right. Right. So we tried different medications and a lot of them didn't work. And and the problem with med, meds are, you know, you have to let them work for two or three weeks before you get any relief from them or no relief. Or So we tried different ones and back and forth. And um, it was a rough road. It was, it was. <laughs> I was always texting her, well, this one isn't working or mm -hmm. I'm having really dark thoughts on this one or. Oh, my God. The and, one the one I will never forget, because um, you had like like the like the, the depression in your head got louder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was, was so, but anyway, we, to make a long story short, we eventually found a medication that kind of worked for me. And um, and I came, I mean, this wasn't overnight, but I came to a point with us talking it out that, um, and I think in grief, like, especially this grief, at first I was like in just a fog, like it was like a brain fog type of thing. I was just going through the motions and reactions. And I don't know if, I've talked to a lot of other parents that have gone through it and they describe the same type of thing. Like they would go through their day. They wouldn't really remember how they got from point A to point B. It was just, you did it somehow and you don't remember doing it. And um, so I think there was a lot of that at first. And it was like just this numbness where you didn't really feel excited about anything. You didn't feel, you felt pain, but it was like, more of a numbness than anything else and I think that's the way your body goes I don't know you could speak more to this about if your body's like kind of protecting you from the trauma or something like that I don't know if that's that could be part of is. the denial stage too where you're just in a in the state of shock mm -hmm. and and unable to fully process and accept what happened because yeah. that's the whole part of the grief stages that Julie mentioned is that eventually you get to the acceptance phase, but prior to that, you work through all kinds of other stuff. Yeah. And I think that's one of the, one of the stages or periods of time yeah. that you go through where you're just kind of lost wandering. Mm -hmm. But the big thing for me was I got to a point where, um, and where I said to myself, you know, if if the roles were reversed and I was the one who had died and she was the one who was still here and I was looking down on her and I would see her 
so miserable that she didn't even want to live anymore. That would make me so sad. I mean, it was so, so sad. And I said, you know, I can't do that to her. And if I can stay, and I always tell this to other um, grieving parents too. I say, you know, not maybe not now, but when you get further along in your grief, you come to a point where you have to make a decision. And you make the decision that either I'm going to be miserable the rest of my life and I can be miserable the rest of my life, but is that's not going to bring my child back. Mm. <laughs> I can be try to be happy. That's not going to necessarily bring my child back either. But I would rather be choose the happier point and try to do things that would me personally was that I wanted to be the best person that I could be for her. And that by doing that, I was honoring her life and I was honoring, you know, who she was as a person, because that's who she was. She was this beautiful person that did so many wonderful things. And she had so many friends. We didn't even know how many friends she had <laughs> until we, um, Right after she died, um, some the principal called us from school, her school, and said, "Oh well, we're having um, a memorial for her. Um, would you all come?" And we said, "Yeah, sure, we'll come." So we went, and they had it on the football field, and there were hundreds of kids on that football field that just held hands in a big circle around the football field. And everyone was, would, they passed around a mic and everyone would say what she meant to them as a person. And it was like stunning that we, that this child had done so many things and meant so many things for so many people. And I said, I have to find a way to honor her by being the best person that I can be. And also being the best person I can be for my son too. Um, because I love him very much too. And so I started, like Alicia said, I started reading books. I started giving her homework to do. <laughs> I would give her books. So you got to read this. I think this is important. So Actually, would... one of the books, I think, I think, I think it was one that you recommended. It was the one that was talking about like how your soul sits down and you have like your soul people and you plan things out. That one was like a game changer for me. It definitely made me think about things in a different way. Mm -hmm. So, so anyway, so then that was my trek. Um, and when I started to feel a little bit of a lightening of the um, depression and also of the pain a little bit. And so after that, I started going to um, a, a group at hospice for parents, specifically for parents who have lost their children, because I'd been to a lot of other different grief groups and they didn't really, they were okay. But when you lose a child, it's something different because they, they don't even have a word for it. Because you think of, you know, you lose your parents, you're an orphan. You lose a spouse or a widow or a widower, but you lose a child, there's no word for it. Although recently I learned that they do have a word for it now. It's called villomia or something like that. Hmm. Anyway, it means that it's, it's a Sanskrit word that means not in the natural order of things. So it oh, means that, makes sense. that, so you, you know, this isn't natural that you should have to bury your your child, um, for a parent to bury your child. So, um, so I started going to that group and uh, meeting other parents who had lost their children and like hearing their stories and us helping each other because some were further along in their grief than I was, some were behind me in grief. And I was able to learn things like get hope from the people who were farther out in their grief, but at the same time offer hope to the people that were behind in their grief. 
And the more I was able to do that, and the more I was able to connect with people, the closer that I felt to my daughter. I could feel her presence. And to still today, when I talk about her or when I do things that, um, you know, make me feel good and make it makes me feel a connection to her because when she left, I lost her physical body, but I did not lose the love that I have for her. And no one can take that away and no one can take that connection away from but me. But there were times I remember in your journey where you didn't feel like you yeah. could feel her. Mm -hmm. And that was like all you wanted was right. to be able to feel her. Right. Um, but I think one of the things about that is, is that people in the spirit world operate on a higher vibrational frequency than we do. And in order to feel their presence, we have to raise our vibration. And when we're depressed, we're at a very low vibration and we're not able to really feel their presence. And I think that was part of the thing, because as I started to feel better and be come out of the depression, I felt started getting in touch with her more, feeling her presence more. And I think, and I don't, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think you honoring her in the way that you felt like you were supposed to also makes you feel right. closer to her because exactly. one of the things that I'm probably getting ahead of the game, I'll let you no, go back. No, to, no, that's oh, okay. Um, one of the things that came out of you going through all of that was realizing that how much it meant to you to help other grieving parents right. and being able to help them, I think helped raise your right mood. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. So yeah, go ahead, Julie. Just touching base with your depression. You said there are times when Alicia brought up that you said there are times you couldn't feel her. And I feel like that's what depression does. You, you, it's, it's, it separates you from people. It just, it isolates you. So you don't feel any connection. So I'm sure that during that time, you didn't feel connection with your wife as much or with your son or even with this world. Right. And you were thinking, and you were in so much pain and it, it really distanced you from anything that was loving because you couldn't handle it at the time. And you were like, maybe dying is better than this. Because mm -hmm. exactly. like, I'm, I feel like I'm dying anyway. Yeah. So why not have this end? Right. And then also combine that with the fact that you miss this person so much that you think that that's the only way that you can be with them is if you're if you die. So what kept you from committing suicide? Like it, that's a huge, huge, you know, like I, I'm sure that's an option that popped up in your head often. Oh, yeah, exactly. Well, three people saved me. I mean, it was my wife for making me go to therapy, Alicia for listening to all my crap. I mean, was, several times she wanted to put me in the hospital and I wouldn't go. And we went back and forth on that. And I was signed things saying I wouldn't hurt myself with her. And, oh, and um, yeah, so. I only did that because your psychiatrist <laughs> made us. His but psychiatrist no, but... was like, did you guys make a safety plan? And I was like, we can make a safety plan if you want to. <laughs> he's not going to follow it if he doesn't really want. If he doesn't want to do it, he's he'll go with the motions of signing it. Is he really going to follow through? You know. Yeah. And then and then the hospice group that I joined with the other parents and having the support of the other parents and all of those three things I think were the things that really, you know, saved my life and. You as know. far as not committing suicide, though, I think Kim was probably number one because mm -hmm. you you were like, I can't do that to her. Right. Or to my son. Yeah. Right. You're right. Because Kim. And let's talk about Kim a little bit, just mm -hmm. because um, a lot of times losing a child will tear people away from each other. Mm -hmm. uh, but can you talk about what how that affected your relationship? Um. Well, for some people, it, well, I'll tell you this, when we first, when this first happened, we were coming out of church one day, and someone said to us, one of the, the 
people, they're like, oh, we're so sorry for your loss. You know, about like 70% of marriages, you know, end because of child because of child loss, because of people grieve differently, men and women grieve differently. I'm like, well, that's not helpful. Why are you telling me that? And um, so we were really mad about that, actually. But to be honest with you, um, it brought us closer together as a couple. Um, the one good thing was that, and I don't know how this happened. I think God's intervention, whatever you want to call it. But we, when when I was in a bad state, she was able to be there for me and hold the space for me. Um, and then when she was in a bad state, I was able to hold the space for her and be there for her. So it just happened to work out that way. I don't think it always does, but for yeah. us, it did. And, um, and we're like really close now. I mean, we're the closest we've ever been, I think since we've been married for 35 years now. And oh. yeah. So. And they're the cutest too, Julie, because they're opposites. Oh, yeah. maybe that it comes to holding space because when you grieve, something she was like mm, nah you know whatever right like that's not my time I, I I understand it I'm 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 grounded enough right now because it, it hits me differently but things that hit her differently you're like oh I'm grounded in your opposite way and because you guys are on different spectrums but go ahead I cut you off she's their opposite in which way oh she's like very outgoing and bubbly and I'm very introverted and you know calm quiet <laughs> yeah they laugh. Now you're talking it because well, I have to. Yeah. <laughs> We're, oh, you normally not a podcast. If I didn't say anything, <laughs> if you were silent, Jim. Um, speaking of things that people said to you that weren't helpful, mm -hmm. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that because people said a lot of things to you that you didn't like. Well, I. But it's because I think that people don't know what to say. I mean, they're afraid that if they bring up the topic or they say something to you that you're going to get upset. You're going to, well, I'm not going to get any more upset than I already am, right? I mean, you're not going to. And I really believe, especially with grieving parents, I, I don't know. I'm talking more from the death of a child, but I think parents want to hear you talk about their children mm. um even if they're not there any longer they want to hear their names brought up they want you to tell stories about them and they may cry if if you um tell the stories but they still want to hear it they still want to hear their name because i think the worst thing the thing that parents feel are hardest about is that people are going to forget their children child they're just you know they're going to forget who they were and and that's the worst fear that they have even not as much as them obviously not being there but but for them surviving the worst thing that you can do is not bring up their name and not um mention the, their child because they want to hear about their children and i don't think we said her name by the way caitlin Okay. Yeah. I have Caitlin in my wallet and Aww. I carry her with me and I have a bracelet that reminds me of Caitlin. And honestly, she's an inspiration too. And, and you touched on it a little bit about how she really impacted a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, and that's another thing. Like, I don't think we as human beings realize how much we impact other people, you know, we think that our lives are so insignificant and that people don't care about us, especially when we get depressed, but we touch so many lives, even if it's just the person you smiled at at the grocery store. And I don't know how, how people feel about, about like, um, you know, spirituality and as far as like them still giving us signs and things like that. I believe in that kind of stuff, but some people don't, um, but I'm going to tell you an interesting story is that after Caitlin passed, there was um, a family that was, was 
Caitlin's friend, and they were um, a very, uh, they were a super family to us. And they said, we want to do something for, in honor of Caitlin because she meant so much to us. They said, so we want to start a scholarship in her name at the high school that we go, that she went to. And um, so they started a scholarship in her name. And so each year they send us all the applications and we have to pick out the one that most exemplifies Caitlin and who she was and everything. So one year, the, every year so far, except for one, a girl has won. But one year there was a boy who won and um, he couldn't be there to pick up the award. And so he he was he called us the next day and he apologized that he couldn't be there because he was he had to work and and um, we we're like oh no you're fine you know you need to work and he was telling us you know he really wanted to be there and how much this award meant to him and you know he really hoped that he he would honor her legacy by winning this award and everything. Well, time goes by and. Kim just recently, unfortunately, lost her mom. Um, she was under hospice care, and she was living at a, like an assisted living facility. And one of the um, the med techs there, um, Kim got talking with her one day, and she was like, oh, where'd you go to high school? And she said, well, it's Steinbrenner High School, where Caitlin went. And she was, oh, well, you probably didn't know my daughter or my son, because they both went there, but, you know, you that was before you went there. And she goes, oh, what was her name? And so we said, Caitlin Silverwood. And she said, oh, I know her. She said, she was she played tennis, didn't she? And we said, yes, she did. And so she said, yeah, well, my, um, my mom had passed and my dad was raising, I think, three kids. And my brother was the one who won the scholarship Aww. And if it hadn't have been for the scholarship, he wouldn't have been able to go to college. I love stories. So, so how can we not say that Caitlin didn't have something to do with it? Yeah. Oh um, my God. So, you know, so I really believe like in things like that, that just are, people can call them coincidences if you want, but I don't believe in coincidences. I believe God has a plan for all of us and, you know, that that was just things working out with the way Caitlin was. I mean, that was the way she was. She would have she would have been the one that would give him the scholarship to go to. And so she worked through us to be able to give him the scholarship. So I I've told you before that I think the loss of a child is one of the worst loss that you can experience. Um, but you know, you were saying people don't know what to say and they think they shouldn't bring the person up. And mm -hmm. I like hearing about my dad. I can say that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, obviously you and I can't say that this is universally true for anybody who's grieving, but I love hearing stories about my dad. My aunt shared a picture of him recently and he looked so cute in the picture. I've never, I never saw my dad like that because he was really young um, and I loved it. I mean, I just, I like to hear things that people have to say about him as well. And, you know, as far as like living your life to honor that person, I think that's the best thing that you can do, mm -hmm. you know, for somebody who meant a lot to you. And I like to believe, similar to you, that that they're there with us, helping us through, and maybe even still working through us to help other people. Right. I I definitely like to believe that, and I definitely feel like there are signs when, like for me, when I see cardinals, I think of my dad. Right. And I tried to, um, I went, we, we took the kids to this um, ice display recently. And as you were leaving the ice display, they had all these Christmas decorations and this one tree had cardinals all over it. And I really wanted one, but I couldn't reach the one that I wanted. <laughs> so I didn't end up getting it. But um, I think that that's probably perfect because it's probably better that I just see them when I see them, you know? Yeah. For Caitlin, it's butterflies. 
she shows up with butterflies, I think. Have you seen Encanto? No. Oh my God. It's a cartoon, but I was watching it last night with my daughter and there's a song at the end about, um, he calls the, the people caterpillars and then he's singing about chrysalis and butterflies and at the end of it, there's all these butterflies that come on the screen. It's really a beautiful scene. Um, but that movie's like a whole other subject. <laughs> <laughs> we'll stick to the subject. <laughs> um, but getting back to things that people said that weren't useful, do you think there's any tips we can give people for, aside from like, don't be afraid to bring up that person? Um don't like you don't really need to say anything you just need to sit with the person basically um and that's a big help um people think they have to say the the right thing and there's more wrong things that you could say than the right thing like i think one of the worst things was um someone said to my wife she's like well, at least you have another child. And it's like, well, my wife was like, well, which one of which one of your two children would you like me to take? You know, oh. yeah, we love them both, both, you know, equally. We we don't want one gone and one here. So, I mean, just things like that. And people mean well, like they always say, like, well, now heaven has another angel and things like that. Well, I mean, that sounds good, but at the time when you're going through, um, you know, intense grief and you're missing that child, you want them here with you right now. You you don't care that they're in heaven at that point. Um, I think later on, maybe you do, um, because even now we call her date that she died, her angel anniversary. We, we call it that. And um, we do things to like we go out to the cemetery and bring flowers and and, you know, talk to her. And we still do things in her honor. Like we go out like at Christmas, we'll put a Christmas tree on her her grave and because um, she loved Christmas. And, you know, we do other things to keep her memory alive. And I think that's the important part, too, that I think I need to sort of say some stuff about is that I had a hard time after she passed because I felt like um, why did it I got stuck on the thought of why did it take her dying for me to to try to change my life and be a better person and be a better husband be a better father be a better all of these things and I feel like I've made so much stride for the better in all of those areas but why did it take her having to pass for me to be able to do that I would have rather her been here and me able to do that and I got stuck on that for a long time but I think now I'm kind of over that and I feel like that it she was going to pass the you know, whether I was a terrible person or whether I was a good person, but it really makes her happy and it really honors her life for me to be this this better version of myself. And I think other people around me appreciate the better version of me than it was the other version. Yeah. Well, also, first of all, that's news to me and I'm really excited okay to hear that that's really awesome that's further progress you know um but i i and i think that that's true i think it goes back to what you said about at some point you have a decision to make mm -hmm. and you chose not only to try to be happy and to find happiness in life but to try to improve yourself right. in her honor and also for yourself, like you said. Um, and I I don't think everybody makes that choice, mm -hmm. unfortunately. And some people just become their grief. Mm -hmm. And it really prolongs right. the pain. Right. Not that you don't still experience pain, because I'm 100% sure you did. And you yeah. do. It 
it's but the the at first it's um my wife always describes it as like a tidal wave like you sit there and you just keep getting pounded with all these waves and waves and waves and then as you get further along in your grief the waves still come but they don't come as frequently they're they and then out of nowhere you'll be doing something and then there'll be some sort of trigger you'll hear a song or you'll hear something that reminds you of that person and all of a sudden whoosh there's that wave again knocking you back down so you still have those but i think the further out you get from the the death the more, less frequent those waves are and um yeah i think, I think so too i think so too and, uh, and i I was reading about grief and it was the seven steps. There are certain articles that didn't talk about enough. I think that these steps aren't linear. You know, sometimes you're in step one, sometimes you're in this and, and, and sometimes you're in acceptance and you're in a really good day and it's a, it's a low wave. It's an easy right. way. And, and everything seems like it's, uh, it's going well. Then there's that little trigger. Now you're back at step one right. and it's okay. And you don't have to beat yourself up and just know that it comes in waves. Mm-hmm. Well, she knows that that happened to me, that I would make like progress and then I would take three steps back from there. And then I would be like, why am I back here? I thought I was, you know, up here and I would be back here. And I was afraid to even come and talk to her because I felt like, oh, no, you know, I, I should be here and I'm back here now. I don't want to go talk to her and tell her I'm <laughs> going backwards instead of forward you know she wants to see me going forward and i want to see me going forward and now i'm going backwards but yeah i think you do you have your good days and your bad days and but hopefully the further along you get and the more work you do because i think it does take work it's like not something that you i mean you do need to read i i do meditation now um right now uh tell her this uh, for a year I've been off all meds for depression anxiety everything so I've been handling it through meditation and exercise and you know different things like that that I do writing. now I'm not yeah writing I start a blog for um, grieving parents and and so um so I get it all out in those ways. And I found it like this technique that works for me is that when I have the pain, when the pain comes, your mind, I think, naturally wants to grab onto pain. Like it, you can't, where you can't think of anything else, you just feel the pain. And the more I can sit with the pain and try to, I try to imagine myself in a bubble and like that pain takes up most of the bubble but the more I can expand that bubble and just sit with the pain there but expand the bubble so the pain is still there but the space around the bubble is more than the pain it lessens some of the pain it helps me to think of other things other than just you know the pain and that's a technique that's worked for me but I don't know that it works for everybody it's kind of hard to do but it's it really works if you're able to do it because your mind just wants to, I can, you know, wants to latch on to that pain for some reason. I don't know. Maybe you can. The pain signals that there's a problem. So your body wants to pay attention to the pain so that you'll take care of the problem. But for some of our problems, there's nothing we can do. Mm -hmm. And so it's dangerous for us to just sit with, sit in the pain and let the pain consume us. So that exercise that you do allows the pain to be there, but also expands the space so that it's not too much for you to bear and it doesn't completely consume you. Mm -hmm. so when we're healing, like let's say it's a physical wound, you, you need to experience the pain so that you can be easy on yourself and allow yourself to heal. Uh, but if you just focus on the pain and you never move and you never do anything, then you get worse. So, you know, we have to learn how to be with the pain, but not let it overtake us. Mm -hmm. Because I found most of the time when, when I would have be grieving and 
I would try to push the grief away, it got stronger. It made it worse. But if I could sit with the grief and just sit there with the pain and allow it just to eventually go away, because it's not going to stay forever. And you learn that. But at the time, it feels like it's never going to go away. And but the more you sit with it and you let it be and you make that space for it, it gets less and less and eventually goes away. And then you can get on with whatever you were doing before. But um, yeah, and that's well, hard to do because it is our inclination to avoid the pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What did you do to when you were trying to avoid the pain, like push away? Were you doing were you drinking? Were you doing unhealthy things or were you sleeping um, a lot? Not, I don't know that I was doing any of those things. Um, He's not a drinker. I don't know. I was just. I, I You I, want me to say? Yeah. I mean, I was you isolated. Very, you yeah. shut down. You didn't really talk to Kim. Yeah. And she would, she could tell that something was wrong with you, but you wouldn't yeah. tell her anything and you would just be to yourself. And then you would start to have thoughts that you should just give up. Right. And not, it wasn't necessarily suicidal at that point. It was like, why do I keep trying? Cause I'm not getting anywhere. Mm -hmm. And that was something you said earlier that when you're going through these, when you're going through this process, it feels like you're making progress. And then it feels like you're not. And the image that I like to talk to people about now is the spiral staircase. So at some point in the spiral staircase, you can see all the places that you were and it, it might feel like you're in the exact same place because you look up and you see all these stairs above you but there's also all these stairs below you so you're not in the exact same space it just feels like it in that moment you're still climbing the staircase I love that analogy I think that's really smart because it's true sometimes you feel like even working out or, or things right people are like I've been working, I've been going to the gym every single day and I have no progress. My my scale is the exact same. And you, Jim, you know, you're probably like, I'm seeing Alicia every day. I'm texting her like crazy and I don't feel any better. Like mm -hmm. maybe this doesn't end and, and what other option do I have, right? So when you said, I, I, don't, I don't know what else I can do, I'm not getting any better. Right. Then, then was, did, did something get better or um. like what happened? Well, I think part of it was I got on the right medication. So I was able to kind of get out of that bad space. And then, like I said, it was the motivation was that I was going to do everything that I could to honor my child. And I was going to get better. I'm, I was going to work at it. I was going to read as many books as I could on the subject. I was going to, you know, exercise i was going to meditate i was going to you did journal several, like, i was going to do i did 28 day meditations yeah. or 28 day you did several like um hypnosis or something right. to raise your vibration like you did a, a couple different ones right. didn't you yeah yeah so i think one thing i can say about jim that's pretty impressive and i told i've told you this before is that he just never gave up julie he just kept mm. trying and he kept trying different things and he just kept going. Mm. And even like the grief group, the parenting grief group, there were times when he was like, I don't know if I'm going to keep going, especially like when everything went virtual, mm -hmm. that was really, right. really hard. And he just has never given up. And, and that's something that I've always been very impressed with because, you know, I've seen you in places where you really wanted to but you just never did you I guess you let yourself essentially have those bad days and then you would just pick yourself up mm -hmm. and get moving again mm -hmm. and did Kim go to therapy with a separate therapist as well she went with um oh, with yeah. <laughs> we didn't go together though we went at different times oh Oh, that's why you know her so well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also know her through, you know, yeah. his experiences. Um, and I talked to her a couple of times while I was working with him. So, yeah. Was it comforting knowing that both of you guys were going to the same therapist? That maybe you could hear what 
Kim's thinking, but from a mediator point of view versus directly from, you know, Kim. And sometimes it's you know, emotional. There's more, more emotional compared to that motions connected to that. I don't think we ever really talked about. No. And we went at different times. Yeah. So it was kind of like when I was finishing up, she was starting because she went to a different therapist at first. Mm. She went for a little while, like for five visits or whatever, and then she stopped going. And then later on, I think when her mom got really ill and was, you know, on the verge of going into hospice and she was trying to deal with Caitlin's loss and different things were going on that that's when she's like, well, I need to see somebody again. So I'll just go see your therapist. So I said, uh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> so what do you think were the key reasons why you and Kim got closer rather than being part of this statistic? I think is being, it was, it forced us, like we became empty nesters overnight. So we had always had our kids around us. And when you, I think Alicia knows this is like your kids are involved in so many different activities and things like that, that you really don't spend a lot of time, unfortunately, with, with getting to know your spouse too well. It's like, you're spending time taking them to this soccer game or this thing or that thing or and you know you're constantly your whole life revolves around your kids and then all of a sudden one of them's gone one of them's in college over in Orlando and you know we're home sitting at looking at each other like what do we do you know, what do we do now and oh, so she was, young, she was a younger sister okay so your son was older. Right. Yeah. He's he's 28. Yeah. And he's married and um we're going we looks like we're going to be grandparents pretty soon. <laughs> so yeah, so we're excited about that. And um yeah, but what so what happened was um so we were like, you know, I think one of the things that happened to me was that I, for whatever reason, when I lost when I lost Caitlin, I became a more compassionate person. I was he like, was already compassionate. Not, <laughs> not like this though. I mean, I was, but not to the extent that um, after she was gone, I felt like I don't know. I became a more compassionate person because the worst thing in the world has happened to you and you look around other people and like some of the things that people are complaining about or whatever, you're like, that doesn't even make any sense. Like people complaining about being in traffic or having weight on this line, or I just lost my daughter. I mean, this, this, this is nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's all this, you know? So it really puts things in perspective. And I became a more compassionate person. And I think we um, started talking and, and we really were vulnerable to with each other. And um, through that, um, I think we, we grew to be closer. And now we're like best friends, you know? I mean, we were always best friends, but I think we're closer now than we've ever been before in our lives. I mean, it was... I don't know. I don't think it happens that way for everybody, but for us, it was, we were fortunate. Caitlin wasn't going to let it happen. A yeah, way. probably. Probably. She had something to do with it. Yeah. Caitlin looks a lot like his wife, by the way. Yeah. Uh, uh, I want to go back to, to the stages not being linear just real quick because Something that I tell clients, um, and prior to the call, Julie and I were discussing that I've lost my father, but Julie had a breakup that felt like a loss. And it is a loss. It is a loss. It's just not quite the same as death. Um, but you go through those same stages of grief when you have any kind of loss. And what I tell people is when you start to get, when you start to feel the acceptance, you start to feel like, okay, 
this happened and I can accept it. I can be, I'm going to be okay anyway. That is the beginning of reaching acceptance uh, permanently. So the first time you feel it, it's not going to stay. It's going to, it's going to leave you, but it'll come back. And that's important for people to know because as you move through all the emotions and things involved, it's such a journey. But the first time you feel that acceptance is progress because you will then be able to return to that place. Now, I think one of the things that um, you learn is that grief, basically what grief is, is what I say about grief, it's love with no place to go. Like Mm -hmm. before that love had some place to go, and now what the grief is, is that love has no place to go. So you have to find the place for that love to go now. And I think that's why you can grieve anything, um, anything that you really love. Once that's gone, you're going to grieve that because that that thing that you loved isn't there anymore. And your grief is trying to find a place for that love to fit in. And that's why I think it's very important especially when someone dies, that you're able to find some sort of meaning in that, in their life and some sort of way to honor and keep them in your life so that you can find some place for that love to go. That's That's such a poetic way of saying that, huh? He's a poet. He really (laughs) is. Oh, you can tell. I don't remember if it was a book you had me read or if it was something else that I read, but I remember... Um, reading somebody saying like the first loss that you experience is like being a baby essentially like when you come out of your mother you're losing um, the safety of being in the Mm -hmm. womb and then you start you experience losses from then on out and um, it's interesting because my kids are six and four and they tell me I want to be a baby again I I wish I still had a bottle. And I'm like, what? I don't. I don't wish that for for us at all. (laughs) (laughs) But it's interesting that as little kids, they're already grieving Mm -hmm. their infancy. So, you know, that whole point that you were making that you can grieve anything. And I think that that's true. And I think that's a beautiful way to summarize how to cope or one of the ways that you can cope is to find somewhere else to put your love and you know for for different people it's different things but I think that that's you know I feel like a lot of people go to animals too like Mm -hmm. put all their love into their pets or something like that so I think everybody has to take a different route but um that that's a beautiful summary yeah but I also want to say even when it's, because I'm sure some parents are like, no, I only want to give it to her. I only want to give it to Caitlin or that person. It's like that, it doesn't mean you're taking away love from Caitlin, right? The love that you have for Caitlin um, lives on. Mm -hmm. So maybe that the love that I have for Caitlin, I could put it in this space and make this a happier person. Like Mm -hmm. that, that, that boy that had the scholarship, Mm -hmm. you, the love that, the love that you have for Caitlin was able to, you know, in a sense, multiply right. and produce and share with other people. So I think with the level, with the, and, and when you're grieving, it's hard to think of abundance, right? You're thinking of very, it's a very um, a scarce, it's scarce mindset. It's like, she's gone. There's nothing. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm empty. There's, there's nothing else. But if you, if you try to think of a abundant way of thinking and say the love that I'm, I had for her, the place I could put it is here. But when I put it here, it comes back to me. Mm-hmm. Then I could that love again and give it again to someone else and shine some more light. Right. So I think that way of thinking might be just a happier way of saying it versus like, if I give it away, then it'll never come back and she's gone and I'll forget her. Yeah. That's beautiful, Julie. Thanks. But I had one other question that was from a person that hasn't really loved, like, you know, hasn't lost anybody that was close to close to me um, and having other people losing uh, uh, other people in their lives that's close. 
and helping them grieve. So I was a little confused because you said, bring her up. Don't be afraid of bringing her up. Then mm -hmm. you said, oh, my God, I can't believe these people said the wrong thing. So it's <laughs> make, yeah, Look, like, bring, 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 bring what I'm saying is like, tell the people, you know, bring her name up, talk to about her name. But don't just go and say like, oh, well, heaven has another angel or, you know, these little trite little sayings that people say. But I think you can just sit with the person and then, but also they, grieving parents do want to hear their child's name. I mean, because they want to know that their child is not going to be forgotten. Mm. I think another thing you said too, that, um, that I that stands out to me is that at her funeral you hugged everybody mm -hmm. and that that was really meaningful to you that you were sort of like absorbing energy mm -hmm. from other people and maybe even honoring Caitlin in that way like the love exchange kind of mm -hmm. thing um, and for me I think there have been times in my life where I didn't want anybody to say anything to me I just wanted a hug mm -hmm. and so I feel like sometimes words aren't what people need mm -hmm. but that it must have been good to hug that many people that day mm -hmm. what that must have felt to hug all those people uh, yeah. because all of of caitlin and so it's just like this this you know very abundant feeling of love that day mm -hmm. definitely they my wife is a teacher at a Catholic school and they had to close the whole school down because all the teachers and all the kids wanted to come to Caitlin's funeral. So, so they closed the whole school down. Wow. For her. Yeah. Um, and you've mentioned priests and Catholic and I want to throw out there too, that um, you, you opened your mind spiritually too, through this whole mm -hmm. process. Yeah. And um, I thought that was a really cool result. And and you're very respectful of anybody's beliefs. And a lot of the stuff that you read wasn't necessarily just Catholic or just no. Christian. Um, and you kept an open mind as far as that was concerned. Right. Wasn't sure if you had any commentary on that. Well, I think it's very helpful if you are able to, I mean, I've heard people that say that people who are atheists and things like, you know, are atheists that are able to, you know, become happier in their life after, you know, experiencing a loss. But for me personally, um, I needed some sort of spiritual affirmation that she was somewhere else, that her life didn't end, that it was going on and it was in a different realm than what I could see her as, but I knew that she was being taken care of, that she was happy, that, and I needed that personally. Um, and I, I think that helped me with, in my grief too, because the first thing that I worried about when she passed was well, what's going on with, where is she? What, what's going on? Is she Okay. And, you know, I had to get over that and realize that, yes, she is okay. She's in a better place. And, but that took me a while to get to that. Yeah. At first I was like really mad. At, but at there God. were a lot of signs too, right? Yeah, I thought there were. Um, she, different things would happen that, um, you know, like people, I think grieving parents, they look for signs, um, and you, you can take certain things as, like I said before, as coincidences, or you can take them as signs that your loved one is looking out for you and different things that would happen. Like you would see a butterfly uh, that would kind of follow you around or something like that, or um, different things like that. I take as signs that that's Caitlin. Like when I'm out exercising in the morning, if I'm out for a walk or a run or something, and I see a butterfly, I'll say, good morning, Caitlin, because no. I see her in the butterfly. So, you know, that's my way of, you know, keeping my connection with her, because I think that's very important in being able to move on in your grief is being able to maintain a connection, because I think some people who get stuck in grief, that 
gets stuck in the bad part of grief. I've heard them say that if I feel better or if I laugh or whatever, then I'm forgetting about them, you know, that I'm, I'm going to forget about them. And I'm like, no, I mean, how can you forget about this person that you loved so much, you know? And the more important thing is, is to try to find ways to honor them and to keep that connection with them. Um, and you can't really do that if you're stuck in this, you know, terrible grief all the time. So. And you, you did mention that you went through an angry period. I mm -hmm. think I like shifted that. Sorry about that. Um, no. But that's, you know, part of the stages is being angry. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I think about it when it comes to judging anybody where they're at in life. And, you know, I've gone through healing processes in my life where I was really angry for like years. And if somebody would have said to me like, oh, you can't be angry like that, that resentment, that's going to send you to hell or something like mm. that. Um, you know, I don't know that that would have been a fair judgment because I was able to work through it, but that was part of the process mm -hmm. is going through that anger. And, um, you know, with that being said, another thing that you, you mentioned was, um, how, when you run into people in public, you're thinking like, I just lost my daughter and you never know what people are going through. And we don't, we don't consider that when we're interacting with people. And I think you going through that and me having my own experiences helps me be more compassionate to where people might be when they're misbehaving out mm -hmm. in public or whatever, because we just have no idea. Mm -hmm what's going on for people right i remember one day i was going we were going to go out to the cemetery and bring flowers and i went to to um buy the flowers at the store and the cashier was like oh are you planning a nice romantic evening or whatever i'm like no i'm buying flowers to take out to my daughter's grave and she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I didn't know. How would you know? Yeah. And I said, no, I mean, I, I'm I'm doing this because, you know, to honor my my daughter. And, um, you know, I I'm happy that, you know, this is funny to me that you would say that. <laughs> so, you know, That's try to make her feel better. So we, we didn't hear you, Julie. What'd you say? And I said, that was a sweet thing to catch you. She's probably just to try to interact with you. Like, right, oh, right. And this, and after she's like, oh my God. She regretted asking that question. <laughs> but only because people get uncomfortable with, right. with discomfort and they don't know what to do with it after that. They're like, uh-oh. And that's one of the things that I think one of the worst things you can do for someone is just to because people are so uncomfortable talking about, you know, death that they feel, I think some, especially parents, that they feel like if they communicate with you that somehow this could happen to them or something, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's like, mm -hmm. I don't think they really think about that, but I think that it makes them uncomfortable to the point where, oh, if this happened to my child, to like their child, contagious. it is happened to me or you know they don't know they don't feel comfortable so they just kind of go away from you they don't want to be around you and that's like one of the worst things you could do for for people is to just it's much better if you just would go and sit with them even if they don't even say anything just sit with them or give them a hug or something like that um, that way they know that you still care about them because I think a lot of parents lose a lot of their friends because of the fact that their friends don't feel comfortable talking to them about the death of their child. Yeah, I think death it's is really sad. uncomfortable for people. And honestly, just discomfort in general, there's, I've made a few TikToks about, you know, things you can say when somebody tells you that they're depressed because people say the dumbest things. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah so people just don't know what to do though they just have no idea so yeah they feel so awkward that's where the 
That's where the stupid things come from. Because they're so awkward, so uncomfortable that they're like, uh, uh, um, well, at least you have another son. It's like, why would you say that? Why? What is the matter with you? And they're just so uncomfortable with the subject that they're like, say something, say something, uh, word vomit. You know, it's like, that was terrible. The, of all the million things you could say, you said the one terrible thing that sounds ridiculous. Yeah. And people probably, I don't know, who knows, they may or may not regret it later because honestly, people can't imagine how it feels either. And that's another thing that's really difficult for people. You know, which you were talking about um, the bubble and using your imagination to to help with the pain. And I think our imagination is a wonderful thing for us to exercise more mm -hmm. often, not just because it's good to imagine how other people feel, but also to deal with our own stuff. Our imagination can really be a great tool for that, even if it's just putting a visual image to the pain that we're feeling. Right. Um, have you seen Stutz? Yes. Oh, yeah. he he's so great. I love it. Did you see it, Julie? Oh. On Netflix? You got to see it. We should talk about it sometime. But uh, Jonah Hill does a... It's kind of like a therapy session uh, and they like document it and the therapist talks about himself and Jonah Hill talks about himself. But at one point he talks about, um, close your eyes. I know it sounds ridiculous, but I want you to just close your eyes, do what I say and imagine love all around you. And then he goes through this whole exercise where they're imagining sending love and imagining love embracing you. And that's truly like, a wonderful way for us to try to heal is using our imagination with our feelings. So just throwing that out there. Um, I got nothing else. Julie, you got anything else? <laughs> Thank you so much, Jim, for taking your time out of your day to share with us. And it's just, it's really, really inspirational that you could, that you're, you're at this phase in your life and you're willing to, and you're helping so many other grieving parents. So thank you for that. Thank you for having me. Is there anything else you feel like we need to tell people about grief? I mean, we could probably we could talk forever about it. Yeah. Okay. Let's be back sometime. Yeah. Okay, I'd love to come back. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, stick with us next time. We'll give you some more tips and uh, have a wonderful week. <laughs>